the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Len May, Chief Executive Officer of EndoCana Health with us with their product EndoDNA, which I find incredibly fascinating and it's so, so good to see you, Len. I was just on Len's podcast the other month when we really got to sit down and talk. So I'm just so excited to continue the conversation with you today. Yeah, that's that's what it feels like. Thank you for having me. We're just, uh, you know, this is part two. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so first question, what yeah. was your first cannabis experience? Um, so my first cannabis experience was the reason why I got into the cannabis space uh, so I was diagnosed with ADD when I was uh, when I was a kid. I was the the kind of kid that would sit in class and sort of uh, have different thoughts that pop in my head, and I would drift. So it wasn't the hyperactive one. And uh, when I was about fourteen, maybe thirteen, they put me on a medication, and uh, some of it worked and allowed me to sort of uh, refocus. But it all sucked because it it totally took any feeling of life out of me. Mm -hmm. So I felt numb and care about much. And uh, I was hanging out with these older kids. I think they were one grade older than me, uh, I think ninth grade, eighth grade, something like that. And uh, they they asked if I wanted to smoke a cigarette. And for me, it's like the cool thing to do that time, smoke a cigarette with the older kids. So right before class started, there was, I think, four of them and me, and we were in a circle, and they had one cigarette, which should have told me something that was odd, one <laughs> cigarette. Okay, like, okay. but, you know, back in the day, we got a cigarette, all right, we'll share it. And uh, they started passing around. It got to me. I took a drag, inhaled, coughed, and like, didn't, didn't taste like a cigarette. And I think I had another one, and then uh, they were laughing at me. I'm like, what? And I said, uh, oh, that's weed. So they put the weed in the cigarette. And uh, when I went back to class, the windows in my head sort of narrowing so I could actually focus. And I was, I think I was high, but I couldn't really tell because I've never had that experience before. But I can tell you that, you know, I was, I was parched and then <laughs> I could focus and I could like, and things became interesting. Uh, whatever class I was in, uh, I think it was like chemistry class. Yeah, actually it was chemistry class with Mr. Fox, who was really uninteresting, but all of a sudden it became interesting and I started focusing on it. So from there on, that became sort of my go-to medicine. That was my first experience. That's my second experience wasn't as good. My second experience is we bought a joint. My friend Mike, who had lived on my street, he bought this joint. He's like, oh, man, I have this joint. And it was, you know, for us to find a joint is a big thing. Yeah. So we we smoked. And uh, we we still, to this day, if I have seen him, I haven't seen him in a long time, we still talk about it may have been laced because we both got sick. We both got nauseous and got sick, and I, I slept. My parents were like, you okay? I'm, like, I'm just not feeling well. So I went to sleep and slept for a while. But that was my second experience. But it didn't deter me. Well, I mean, and that is just another reason why we have to have safe access so that people don't have those experiences. 100%. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that's so cool. I mean, that's that what you're saying about, you know, kind of creating – that balance and like the homeostasis um, is such a huge part of a lot of people's experiences, especially like just getting centered. Cause I know for myself, like I, well, 
you and I both have lots of things going on. We were just talking about this before we were recording. But sometimes when it's like that, like my mind starts to go and I have a hard time like redirecting and, and getting focus. But one of the things that I've found recently is that CBG really helps me with that. And it's really mm-hmm. cool that as we've started to develop the industry, there are more cannabinoids or I'd say lesser cannabinoids, but lesser known cannabinoids that people are finding relief with and seeing like how the balance works. But I, I still am like a huge proponent of like having a little bit of everything to get the best feel. But you have your company, I just find incredibly fascinating. The fact that you're really doing the work to figure out, you know, this crazy walking chemistry experiment that we call our bodies and what actually works well for the individual because like you know whenever I teach a class I always tell people you come to my class you check out some research you read a good educational text what you're getting back is a report back on how the majority of human beings respond and of course we have anomalies Mm. um so let's talk about your product and how it can help people and 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 how you came about um, doing the EndoDNA product itself. Yeah, so uh, there was a study that just came out in the Pharma Journal about, uh, I think they had 130 participants who took uh, cannabis in lieu of, uh, or in lieu of prescription medication for, for the side effects that they were getting from cancer, which was focused on pain. Mm-hmm. And what they, the study said, 40% actually got rid of all their other analgesics, including opioids. However, 20% had no change. So they were consuming cannabis. They, were, they had no difference between cannabis and opioids as an analgesic. Neither of them was really efficacious for them. So the idea is that as you said, we're this chemistry experiment. We have all these constituents in the plant and we have all these genetics and uh, epigenetics within our, our bodies that are going on based on lifestyle. So the idea is to really merge those two together. It's not just focused on cannabis specifically. It's first of all, focused on the endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, it's focused on other uh, systems within your body. So the idea is, what are the things that you are predisposed to having deficiencies or maybe uh, access of, and how can we manage your own individual uh, biochemistry to be able to uh, secrete other chemicals so that we can get that balanced homeostasis. Um, So the idea is to drive people to a personalized experience with their phytocannabinoid use, but also to introduce nutrients and vitamins and uh, other things that uh, that can actually help people get that balance and homeostasis that is personalized to them. And and I'll explain in more detail. But how I actually started uh, this is I got into plant uh, genomics, and uh, the reason why I got into plant genomics is because I used to have a uh, uh, a number of dispensaries and one of the, in a cultivation facility, et cetera, one of my partners wanted to consume some cannabis one day. And uh, he said, uh, Hey, you know, what do you have? And I was like, oh, I have a sativa dominant hybrid. He goes, no, 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 no. That stuff puts me to sleep. I was like, no, no. I said, sativa, sativa, like up, you know, sativa's up, indica's down. Yeah. He goes, not for me. It's up. 
doesn't work the same way for me. It's like, hmm. And I started realizing uh, we had two people that would come in with the same symptomatic condition, consume the same chemical variety, and get a different experience. So I was like, wow, this has to do with this plant. Because at the time, we didn't do testing. This is uh, 2009, maybe wow. 2010. We didn't, yeah. we didn't do the kind of testing that we do today. Even today is kind of uh, iffy, but we didn't do any testing. So people come in and like, yeah, this smells like, uh, you know, green crack or this, uh, I think this is uh, sour diesel. We don't know, whatever that was. So in doing that, we, uh, I, I really started getting obsessing about the plant itself. And I came across a video by this guy named Kevin McKernan, who uh, was talking about genetically sequencing the cannabis plant. And I was like, uh, this is interesting. So I reached out to Kevin. Anyway, long story, uh, maybe a little bit longer. I ended up... Uh, uh, I ended up working with uh, Kevin McKernan, who was the chief science officer of a company called Medicinal Genomics. I ended up working with them. And at the time, what my job was, and they taught me how to do extraction, genetic extraction, lab, all that stuff. So I set up a lab in my house at that time. And I would travel around the country. I would get plant material from different plants, cannabis plants. I would bring it to my home, to my lab, extract the DNA, purify it, and set it to Boston to a sequencer. And what we were building was a library called Canopedia. And Canopedia was a library of what people refer to as strains, but uh, uh, cultivars and chemical varieties, uh, where we can actually see how closely that chemical variety matches to the source. So an example would be if I would get five different blue dream samples, which is uh, you know a chemical variety, and then uh, I would extract the DNA and send them through two are pretty much identical, like with little variances there, we can see that they are a uh, pretty good match for what the blue dream uh, genotype is. Two of the other ones are crosses. So there is blue dream in them, mm -hmm. but they're not blue dream. They're cross of blue dream. So at least we know what that is and we put that on the scale. And the fifth one wasn't even close. It wasn't blue dream, it was just slap the label of blue dream. So <laughs> I that remember me, that. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, well, we have people, you know, we used to do that in dispensaries too. They bring, man, it's, whatever, it smells like that. Uh, OG, OG is a great seller. Everything is OG. So we, we used to do that in in uh, in California. Uh, but in, in doing though, they had, they also had a company that, that was a doing pharmacogenomics, uh, which is uh, uh, PGX testing for different diseases, looking at genetic predispositions to uh, cancer, autism, epilepsy, et cetera, all these different conditions. And uh, I got, I started getting into the human genetics side. Uh, so light bulb moment, I was like, well, you know, we have plant genetics here. We have human genetics here. Why don't we bring those together? And the idea, what they said they weren't ready for, they really didn't have any interest. They, so they ended up closing the, down the human side and focusing the plant, which is their passions and is fine. And it gave me an opportunity to bring some people who are, um, you know, of, of greater intelligence of myself in this field, bring together and do research. And we started Endocana Health in 2017. The first thing we did was research. We started looking at every single SNP, and SNP is a single nucleotide polymorphism. Basically, uh, when your genes are unraveled, you can see what is uh, sort of the genetic predisposition, what variant, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second, is associated with that gene. And then, uh, so what we did was, try to find every single uh, SNP that is directly or indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system. But once we did that, we approached a company called Illumina to help build our chip. 
So our chip is a genetic, uh, it's the, gives us the ability to genetically uh, sequence about 675,000 SNPs. So these are SNPs that are directly or indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system. Now, the thing that really uh, was a difficult uh, thing for us and still continues to be is we have to have a peer review reference for everything that we put out. So the reference has to be PubMed quality or equivalent to. Uh, so we did that, and then we build our kit, and our kit's uh, EndoDNA is the kit, that's the website as well. So there's two ways to get your genetic information. One is to swab inside your cheek where HIPAA and GDPR are compliant. You register, and you mail your sample over to our lab. It will take a couple of weeks to genetically uh, sequence that, or genotype as it's called. Or you can take the raw data that you already own from 23andMe or Ancestry or any other DNA test, and you can upload it to our portal, and we'll translate that for you in 30 seconds uh, or less. So the, the way that it works is we focus on symptomatic conditions. So it's not about, you know, hey, what's the cannabis that is best for you? Uh, the idea when we met with the FDA is to help people avoid an adverse event. Mm-hmm. And the way we do that is we look at all the genetic predispositions that are associated with uh, what people consume cannabis for and where your genetics play a role. So like to give you an example, uh, we have like personalized wellness plans and they focus on anxiety. So if you have predispositions to anything that's associated with anxiety, like uh, stress reactivity or PTSD, you have markers for that as well. Then uh, cognitive function and uh, mood uh, as well as like pain and sleep, all these different things, what we consume cannabis for and where our genetics really play a role. Uh, so the idea is to show people what their genetic predispositions are, also show people how uh, you know certain phytocannabinoids can actually exacerbate a genetic predisposition, maybe for an adverse event, so mm-hmm. they can modify that and show them what's optimal to avoid that. We also look at drug-to-drug interaction. A lot of people uh, don't realize that prescription medications, some over-the-counter medications, some supplements interact with phytocannabinoids. So that's one thing that we also uh, look and see what type of uh, what type of medication are right now. We have over 200 different medications that show an interaction. And then we look at dosing. And dosing is an interesting thing. It's pretty, it's been controversial for one of the reasons why uh, this whole milligram per kilogram, we always talk about low and slow. Yeah. And uh, I, I find it, I find it really interesting that um, we had this, uh, or we still have this green book that came out of Israel that always talked about, you know, milligram per kilogram, what you should be consuming. And I always found it interesting and, and, and somewhat funny because my business partner is uh, he, he's bigger than me. He weighs more than me and he's just bigger than me. So ideally, he needs to be consuming more than, than me because uh, it's milligram per kilogram. But uh, he's a poor metabolizer. So we had a, we had a funny uh, experience. It's funny now. Probably wasn't funny uh, for him then. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so, uh, he went with uh, one, of the, one of our neuroscientists to a psychedelic conference in Vegas, and I was traveling at that time. And they, they had a uh, beverage, like a 100-milligram cannabis THC beverage of some sort. And, and I get a text. Uh, my business partner's name, name is Eric. I get a text from uh, Mark, who was with him. He goes, I think I killed Eric. I'm like, what What happened? I'm like, well, what happened? He was telling me that he took two sips and he was like out of it. And uh, I was like, well, this is interesting because one part of me is like, well, this is a great uh, experiment because nobody's ever died of cannabis. So if you killed Eric, there'll be 
very first one. So let's maybe it'll be uh, an interesting uh, story. <laughs> Poor but, Eric. Uh, <laughs> I know, but on the flip side, he was just like, uh, he was like, no, uh, he was just out of it. And yeah. then he actually stayed an extra day. And because I know his genetic, he's, he's a, a poor metabolizer. So, and especially consuming for, through first passes, quick delivery, you have 11 oxyhydroxide conversion from your liver. And then if you have predispositions to like things like stress reactivity or PTSD or sl- a slow rate of fear extinction, et cetera, you know, that can express itself. And uh, that's sort of what happened to him. So the idea of dosing correctly based on metabolic function. And then the final part of that is products. And we all, and this is why I, you know, I always urge everybody in the whole community to be, to step up their game, because one of the things we do is look at C of A's of different products and how match them through an algorithm, how close that product matches the suggested ratio. And we geofence that and see where you can get that product. Now, the challenge is that uh, not everybody has C of A's for their products. Not every state demands them. Not everybody does C of A's correctly. And even bigger part of that is the C of A's that are done aren't even looking at terpene profiles, which is really that secret sauce. Like, we need all the constituents in the plant. So I'm putting it out there again. If you're going to do testing, let's make sure that we test for everything and give people that personalized experience. Yeah, well, that's I was just talking to um, Nikki Lolly, and she was saying that in New York, that the COAs are proprietary information, they don't even release them, which to me is a call for better policy for people to understand why access to these by the public is so incredibly important. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think doctors have access to that. And you can talk to a doctor, but they had it as part of their HIPAA. Uh, you know, they don't put them on the website or anything like that, but all that will change in New York too, as their, as their laws change. <clears throat> the, the biggest challenge with this is that we have this concept in our minds that we have these state lines mm-hmm. and the state within the state gets to create their own, um, their own laws and their own policies. But the biggest challenge is that if my policy is, one in New Jersey, and it's different in New York, and I'm I'm traveling back and forth, I, there's no consistency. And it's across the board with testing. Even calibrating your testing equipment is different. Yeah. And you, you know, like you, you take your, you take your uh, formulation, you send it out to three different labs, you may get three different results. True. This should never happen. No. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of like big government and big, you know, oversight, but we need to have policy in place to be able to regulate this so we can get out of the dark ages. And we are still in dark. It's a huge, huge difference between where, uh, you know, we were 15 years ago and where we are now, 100%. And one of the biggest differences is that stigma. So you can be out of the closet as a cannabis uh, consumer, as a cannabis user, and somebody who's in the cannabis business. I remember the moment that I had to switch over my LinkedIn profile to go all in. And I was just thinking about it. Oh shit. You know, it's like having a face tattoo. Uh, it's great. You know, you want to have face tattoo, but you know, that face tattoo may actually not allow you the opportunity to have certain, uh, you know, jobs or whatever it is now. And it could change in 10, 15 years. It's the same sort of stigma as you're coming out of the closet as a cannabis uh, user, somebody in the cannabis space. You know, everybody's like, oh, he's, he's that guy. He's in the cannabis. But now 
you know, you have uh, all the all the suits are coming out and they have their profiles. I'm a cannabis so and so. So it's became it's becoming more normalized. But, you know, we still have a ways uh, to go in this. And I think that the way to do this is so we can get out of the dark ages is through regulation and policy. I think that's that's the only way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I And I am I'm with you with I don't want to have like everything micromanaged, but we do need standardization. We need certain, you know, ways of of doing our work and and things to keep people safe. And I think that the more the more we have, you know, support from our government, the more we'll be able to have better testing, the more excellence than that. And it's when you're talking about actually putting, you know, going all in and LinkedIn I had a similar thing when I heard my first article written about me and I was like, when they asked if they could do it, I had to sit back and think, well, do I ever want to work in the normie world again? <laughs> do I? And actually, when I was looking at an article about you, I saw that you were at PricewaterhouseCoopers before. I, I was at Arthur Anderson and we always wanted to either escape to Pricewaterhouse or Deloitte. <laughs> Uh, they, they all, they all, no, no offense, but they all suck. I mean, it was <laughs> it was an interesting experience, but I, I mean, the, they they actually literally, and when I say use, I use the word suck for a reason because mm-hmm. it sucks the life force out of you. It does. Uh, they they sell you they sell you this uh, this vision of you're going to be partner, and now you're working 14 hour days with people trying to stab you in the back, which I wasn't used to because I came like. I used to have long hair. I put in a ponytail, took out my earrings, put in a suit, and I'm in this environment, and I was not used to it. And I was like, uh, this is not the same as the streets. Like, uh, you know, people will stab you in the back. Nobody's coming at you so you can get ready for the fight. You won't see it coming. So it took uh, – it was an education, let's say. And uh, and from there, you know, I went to work for a venture capital company and all that stuff. But but here's, here's the irony. Uh, like – Ernest Young and these companies now, they have cannabis practices. Yeah. They work with a lot of these uh, MSOs and they have a practice. I went to an event that was sponsored by them. So it's just, it's just so, it's funny. It's so ironic how the shift happened, right? You're, you're, you're not putting on your, uh, on your LinkedIn profile that you're cannabis, but now all these companies, uh, you know, the suits that are coming out now, they're in a cannabis space too. Yeah. What you're saying about, you know, the stabbing in the back, that was my experience with Arthur Anderson, too. It was like, watch your back constantly. It's the only job I ever walked from. I, yeah. I went in on a Sunday night, and this is how you can tell how long ago it was. I dropped my cell phone, my pager, because I was at IT, <laughs> and my laptop on my boss's desk with a resignation letter, and I left for two weeks in May, and the next day I was like, done. You people are toxic. <laughs> and it was the only time I've ever, ever just like taken off. Usually I'm like, okay, I'm giving you a month's notice. Here's everything that's going on. I want to set you up. That place I was like, you people are on your own. You made my life miserable. Yeah, it was, it was funny. I was there. I was actually at Price Waterhouse prior to the merger. Mm-hmm. So then I became, and I guess shifted over to the, the PWC team, yeah. the marketing division. And uh, my job when I was first brought on was to build, help build the global training center uh, because they used to do, they used to have, so when I started SAP was a big thing for 
uh, I guess the big six consulting. I was in the management consulting side, not on the tax side. Mm-hmm. And they had these boot camps. They would take all the best recruits from every Ivy League university. They would put them through a boot camp to learn how to implement uh, SAP. And six weeks. And that's and then they were off to clients being billed at whatever uh, you know dollars per per hour. And these these are ongoing, long, and and it was costly for them. So they wanted to build this online. So that was sort of my my job at the time is to help build this with computer based training, and which is so so primitive. But after uh, the Cooper's merger, they moved my department over under marketing, and I was the only guy, and I was sitting with all women. And what we talked about most is colors for different websites, fonts, and uh, you know it just wasn't wasn't really challenging enough. It, it was interesting. I learned a lot about that whole color theory of what red means and what green means, and why websites are you know use blue and banks that you know trust and all this stuff. So there wasn't there wasn't a level of education I extracted from there. But I completely agree with you. It just really sucks the the soul out of you. Yeah, it does. I, I actually moved from that to another consulting group that was, you know, a boutique one. And I loved those weirdos. <laughs> it, was a whole, <laughs> it was a whole different group. But it's like, it's it's interesting. And like, we're, you know, we're kind of, I'm wondering in the future of cannabis, if we're going to kind of see some of that too. Because like you said, there are lots of big outfits that are now starting to have their own cannabis sections. And even when we're looking at like some of the larger cannabis companies, you know, some I'm just wondering, like, what we're going to see, because when I started working in cannabis in 2012, it was I just loved the fact that, you know, there were really creative, intelligent people. And I used to actually I still joke about this. I'm like, you know, I'll say to somebody at a conference, I'll be like, you know, I always think everybody in the cannabis industry is it's part carny. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like shocked and then they'll be like, yeah. Yeah, we are. And, and I I like, I love the fact that like, there's a lot of really interesting, you know, and I, I say weird lovingly, because I like weird. You know, it's like, there's a yeah, lot of no, normal, normal is boring. Normal is boring. <laughs> and so I, I hope that like people who are getting into the space that are coming from that, you know, status quo of the norms, like, that it gives them the opportunity to kind of dig into like, being themselves and looking at other things and really looking at critical thought because I think that that's something that's like sorely lacking in in the like I don't know the 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 normal like everyday world where you have your laundry list of stuff that you're supposed to do to be like a good person and a good employee and all these things and it's like ah whatever I uh, it, it's so I love this industry just for that. The community that that is created. So go and look at MG Biz. It's not about MG Biz. It's about going every two feet and hugging somebody because like, hey, brother, sister from wherever all over. And you have this connection. And I think that people getting in the industry now, some Mm -hmm. are not, don't have that connection. And the main reason why because they never consume the plant. Yeah. But I've talked to so many people that are coming in from the corporate side and like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really consume cannabis. It's not, not for me. I'm like, well, how are you, if you were in the alcohol uh, industry, would you then say, I don't drink alcohol, but I'm in the industry? No, you would want to 
you know, nobody's saying that you have to be an alcoholic, but you should know what the product is that you're involved with. Yeah. And if you're not, you know, I, I question that. And, and if you're not connected in any way, and I'm not saying you have to be, you know, a daily user, but if you don't know the experience of consuming cannabis and you're in the cannabis space, then I think that you're not, you're not true to who you are and you're just using this as a platform, you know, for, for revenue generation, which is fine, but you're not a member of that tribe. And that's the connection. <clears throat> Anywhere that I travel in the world, uh, you consume cannabis with somebody, you have a connection for life. Like anywhere I go in the world, uh, I get off uh, a plane in Lisbon and uh, I haven't seen this guy in 15 years. He's like, meet me here, pulls up, joint in hand, goes, let me, I'm like, hey, that's my man. We And we hung and, you know, he's like, here's my own personal grow and I got a personal uh, sort of tour with him driving around to local places. But it's that connection of, uh, you know, the the herb connects us. Uh, when I was in Africa, I met these uh, these Rastas in uh, in uh, in South Africa. I didn't know there was Rastas in South Africa, and they became you know my people. It was just it, it was fantastic. So everywhere you go, and you build these relationships with people, and it lasts forever. And I I think that the people who don't consume in this industry, I think they're missing out. And yeah. and I would like to. Going back to the test, I would, ask, I would like to ask them why they, con- they don't consume. Maybe they had a bad experience. And we, we've had this so many times that somebody said, oh, no, I had a bad experience. When I speak to people, like, how many people have ever had a bad experience with an edible? Like 80% of the room raised their hand. Well, maybe there's a way. Why avoid your first pass? Maybe we can do a sublingual delivery or, or do something that's balanced with CBD and THC and different terpene. Like there's a whole bunch of different ways you can consume this plant. And you brought up, you know, CBG, et cetera. It doesn't have to be an intoxicating uh, way, but if you're disconnected from that, I definitely think that you're, you're on the, on the, um, on the fringes of our community. Yeah, it's true. And I, I, I feel like when people have had bad experiences, and I actually had somebody who had never used cannabis before, but it had a bad experience on acid. And so they were like, well, you know, I'm nervous about cannabis. And I'm like, well, you kind of went through like a a much bigger gate before. I can promise you, you're not going to trip out like you would, you know, it's, it's, if you take more than you need, you may have an experience where, you know, like I've had it where I accidentally t- took an edible that was too strong back in the day, you know, when, when you used to have those tiny, tiny brownies that were like, you know, well over 100 milligrams. And yeah, I hallucinated, but I learned from it. So I always tell people, there may come a time where you accidentally take more than you need. The first thing you need to do is know that you're safe. And the second thing you need to do is forgive yourself because there's a lot of mental stuff around, oh, yeah. I just I just dosed myself and this is awful and I feel like I'm dying and it's horrible and it's like well you know yeah it's not fun but you actually are okay and like giving people all the information that they need so that the onus is on them to like really figure out what works well with their bodies but to give them the tools to do that so that you know they may decide that they tried it and it's not for them but at least you don't have somebody going out there saying this is evil because I had a really bad experience because you'll never get that person back. Yeah. So like to that, to that end, I I don't believe there is bad trips. I believe that, I believe that 
there's a lesson and there's a message to unpack. And I, I actually was talking to somebody last night. I went to uh, the Jack White uh, concert. Oh, and, fun. I love him. Yeah, it's me. It's my shirt from the Jack White uh, nice. conference, but uh, concert. But uh, you're not allowed to have your cell phones. They always lock up uh, the cell phones there, so I don't have any video. But I was talking to this this uh, girl who, before they started, and uh, she was telling me that she and she's a psychedelic and she's a big psilocybin uh, person. But she said she had her worst trip on cannabis on an edible like that, way worse uh, or more intense. Than she did it with other psychedelics. So it, it, it can be a psychedelic, especially yeah. if you have a predisposition. There is a gene called AKT1 that is a, a, associated with psychodramatic effects, which is psychosis-like effects. And we've had uh, people that had a disassociative experience. Um, it's fascinating. Now, if, if you know this in advance, you can avoid that pothole in the road. Uh, yeah. But, you know, some people have that. And it can be other things that can trigger that, by the way, like psilocybin or or high levels of stress, but it has ha- happened before. The, the, the thing to, to understand is, I try to use this analogy of uh, alcohol. So if you, uh, and, and I'm no way comparing cannabis with alcohol, and I don't like the word recreational in any way, because that's what uh, alcohol is, and, that. you know, that you consume this poison, it's recreational, and stuff. but when you drink too much tequila, you're like, oh, you know, should I, I drank too much tequila. Uh, I need to take it easy. I need to learn from this experience, not drink so much. And that's it. You you learn from that experience. When we take cannabis, it's like, oh, no, it's the weed. It's evil. It made me have this bad experience. Well, it's the same thing. Maybe you took too much. So why blame the actual product? The product didn't tell you how much, you know, it's, it's up to you. You took too much. So next time, yeah. do less. Do have. That's the lesson. It's not about pointing oh, I don't touch weed because it makes me blah, 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 blah. You may have taken too much. So for your personal experience, it wasn't the right experience for you. So modify that dosing the same way you don't have to do 10 shots of tequila. Maybe you do one, mm-hmm. maybe you do two and have a little bit of a buzz and a more of a pleasant experience. Uh, once again, not comparing the, the experiences, but I'm saying, why do we blame the actual herb and the product instead of saying to us, that we need to understand our bodies and and consume something that's more aligned with us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'm not, you know, it's like because we still have a lot of baked in stigma that hasn't quite gone away because we're in still in the very beginnings of changing the way people look at it. And I almost wonder, like, you know, prohibition, like around when prohibition was ending, did people when they had bad experiences with alcohol, like frame it in the same way? Or was it that that era of prohibition was so short that people didn't like I feel like in some ways our as Americans our dysfunctional relationship with alcohol is reflective of the fact that we did have a state of prohibition where the rest of the world is just like alcohol little kid has a glass of wine with her family at a holiday like a thimbleful it's okay and here we're like oh my god like I just it's insane the way we frame things and it's like you know, there's stigma around euphoria and feeling good. And I mean, I feel like if you can get relief and you can create balance in your body and you can actually have like a little bit of a lift with something that doesn't make you feel like crap the next day, that that actually lends itself to a happier society in general. Yeah, I agree. And just to answer your question about prohibition, uh, it's the it's the bootlegged 
alcohol that was making people more sick because right. it didn't have standards. They weren't distilling correctly. It had a bunch of, uh, you know, particles in it that, that probably weren't really good for the body. So people were getting sick from that. People wanted good, clean alcohol that they could trust. Uh, it's same sort of thing that we're talking about now with cannabis. Uh, you know, you remove prohibition, which, which I believe is the right path to go forward. Like if you look at what happened with alcohol, you remove prohibition. They didn't legalize alcohol. They just removed prohibition. You can do the same exact thing and allow standards. If they have federal standards and then allow the states to interstate commerce to figure out, you know, different states have their own alcohol laws. Like Pennsylvania was a state, the only state run liquor stores. I can't go into my 7-Eleven and I can't buy alcohol. I have to do it at a state store. Uh, so every state has its own, and which is fine as long as the standards and regulations come from the federal government and say, I, if I'm buying my alcohol, uh, a, you know, whatever my bourbon in a store in Pennsylvania, I can guarantee you I'm going to the store in, in California and I'm buying the same bourbon. It's going to be identical. And we don't have that in, in this industry. So that's really, really going to uh, make a change and, and, and a lift, hopefully, in, in the right direction. But I, I definitely agree with you with the whole uh, stigma thing. It's still the stigma. Uh, of, uh, you know, your brain on drugs and all this other stuff. And there, there are a lot of lobbyists that uh, are still trying to push, pharma's pushing them, and they feed you articles on, on your um, social media, et cetera, uh, that is uh, feeding you and showing you that, uh, you know, oh, it's, uh, it causes this, it causes that. And it, nobody really, you know, we're, we're headlines. Oh, cannabis must be bad for you because I just read this headline, but you don't read the article, what it says. And it's just, the, you know, there's no, there's no meat behind us. It's just something to be able to get that headline and, and kind of give you that, oh, maybe that doubt. Oh, cannabis is so-and-so. But you're absolutely right. It's a, there, there's a way to be able to uh, guide people through an experience. And this whole notion, again, once again, of personalization, uh, we, the idea is that your genes and, and people have talk to us about this. Your genes are not all locked in. And I wanted to make sure that I, that people understand this, this whole thing with genetics. You, you have your millions of different genes and you inherit them from both your parents. And a lot of them are locked in. It's true. So like your, your hair color or your eye color or your, your skin color, those we are born with, they're pretty much locked in. Now, other genes, they are genetic predispositions, meaning that think of them as a bunch of on-off switches. And our lifestyle, what we do in our life, can actually turn a switch on or off. Yeah. Now, certain switches, we want to turn on. Certain switches, we want to keep off. So an example of that is if we have a predisposition to um, you know, cancer, a cancer, we're always... You want to make sure that whatever you do, you turn that, you keep that genetic predisposition switch off. But our lifestyle, if we know we're predisposed to that and we're feeding our body with you know, sugar and we're feeding our bodies with, with different things, we have stress in our lives, all these different things, they can, or toxins, they can turn that switch on that we're predisposed to. So the idea is to understand what it is that we're predisposed to. And, and genotype, uh, I meant to say, what a genotype is. So I, I like to use an analogy, uh, like computers speak to us in a four letter 
uh, in a two-letter code, uh, a two-letter, a one and a zero, binary code. Yeah. Ones and zeros, right? Ones and zeros, one, and all we see is the user interface. Uh, I'm aging myself. It used to be called a GUI. We have these ones and zeros, and we program, we have this uh, user interface on top. But all the computer knows is, uh, you know, ones and zeros, basically. So DNA speaks to us in a four-letter code, a C, a T, an A, and a G. The combination of those are nucleotides, are called variants, and the combination of those are our genotype. So our genotype is our genetic predisposition to that symptomatic condition. So I'll give you another example. If we have a predisposition to lactose intolerance, it doesn't mean that we have a disease, celiac. We have a predisposition lactose intolerance. Now we can eat, we can drink uh, milk. Uh, I was uh, actually looking at gluten. We can, we can drink milk, nothing. All of a sudden, that one glass of milk that we had made us feel uh, not well. And all, all what happened is that genetic predisposition, that switch got turned on. And I was, uh, I was using celiac as a, for gluten. You, same thing with gluten. You have a gluten sensitivity. You can be eating bread, nothing will happen. All of a sudden, you had some sort of uh, you know, product, and all of a sudden, you're feeling sick. So that genetic predisposition has been triggered. And that's the that's called the epigenetic response. Yeah. So being able to understand your predisposition will help you avoid those sharp corners and then measure the efficacy. So so if you have if you're taking a supplement, right? How do you know the supplement's working for you? And I, I talk to people all the time about CBD, for instance. Uh, there was like, I don't even know if it's working for me because there's not an initial like euphoric effect. Like you're, if you're consuming THC, you know that it's working for you because you feel it right away. But with CBD, you know, yeah, maybe I'm feeling a little bit better. Maybe it's placebo. I'm like, well, what's the difference if it's placebo? If it's making you feel better, but we can actually we can actually measure biomarkers. So not only blood markers, but we can measure biometric markers uh, through a wearable device. Other ways, so we have a wearable device, but through a wearable device, we can measure the efficacy of a formulation. So creating a truly personalized experience, it bookends the experience. So not only are you getting your genetic predispositions, then you're getting your uh, patient report outcomes. So you can say, hey, you know, my pain went from a 10 to a five, whatever whatever it is that you're trying to address. So my sleep, you know, I'm, I feel I'm sleeping better. I looked at my uh, sleep time. I'm sleeping. I'm getting my eight hours of sleep. But then when you're looking at your biomarkers, you can see the quality of sleep. So my heart rate variability has been good, steady. Um, I'm getting some alpha and theta sleep. My blood oxygen level has been steady. So you can measure all these different biomarkers and you can see that whatever you're consuming is actually efficacious for you. And the more people of your genotype that take this, the better like our predictive analysis works because now we can come in and show you that people that are like you, that have genetic predispositions like yourself, have been using these formulations and they've been really efficacious for them. So it's like, uh, it's having this sort of reviews. Like, like when you go to Amazon and, uh, you know, I'm a medium and my friend's a medium, but he's six foot one, but really skinny. I'm five foot eight and maybe a little bit broader they're not going to fit us the same. It doesn't matter if it's a size is medium. So being able to get you into a bucket of people who are like you, more genetically aligned like you, and these are the things that work for them, that's the future of precision medicine. It's really precision therapeutics in everything you do. Your personalized vitamins, your personalized nutrients, the food that you consume, 
it should be different and personalized. And, you know, anyway, you didn't ask me what direction of the company is going yet, but that's, that's really what we're focusing is whole genome sequencing and being able to provide people that personalized experience across the board. Uh, we just filed a patent on a mental health test too, because one of the biggest uh, challenges, we, we work with a lot of veterans and uh, we have uh, a person on our advisory board who was uh, in the special forces. And they told me that they, they helped a lot of soldiers get out of Afghanistan. And, and through COVID, uh, there was a, an increased uh, suicide oh, risk. Sure, yeah. we're, we're losing a lot of them. And so we said, what can we do? And, and some of them were started microdosing with uh, some psilocybin, some, uh, and there were some studies on uh, you know, ketamine and, and then MDMA for PTSD. But what can we do to help people avoid those adverse effects with, you know, psychotropics as well. And, and what is the right type of treatment for them? So think about it this way. We were started with treatment-resistant depression. So somewhere around 37% of individuals that are getting SSRI, so antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, have treatment-resistant depression. So what that means is that the medication that they're consuming is not going to work for them, most likely, but they will still get the side effects from the medication and may have to take other medication to deal with the side effects on the medication. It's not going to work for them. So wouldn't it be good to know in advance that as a, as a prescriber, that this patient is not going to do well with an SSRI, maybe look at other alternatives, maybe ketamine, maybe a psilocybin, maybe a cannabis or whatever else there may be. And then from there, we can actually guide people to whatever pathway they have. Like, what is the binding affinity of, uh, uh, you know, for GAB or for dopamine, for serotonin or for oxytocin, different types of, uh, of neurochemicals? What is the binding affinity so we can match people up with a treatment protocol that's more personalized to them? And we can help people a lot with, you know, their mental health. So that's, that's sort of uh, the future of where we're moving into. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because it's like, you know, I do a couple times a year, I'll do a, a, a short training session with the UCSF palliative care pharmacy students. And they're always asking, you know, what ratios and what volume of those ratios is for this or for that or for this. And I always look at them and I say, you know, it doesn't work that way, right? Like, you know, with, you know, your pharmaceuticals, it doesn't work that way. You're, you have to try different things and different doses with people to find the match. I think like, and, and also like when we're looking at like cannabinoids and just like cannabis in general, and there's like going back to, you know, when we talk about our, our truths about the way cannabinoids and terpenes interact with one another and interact in our bodies, you know, we do have, you know, the baseline that we, we, we give out when we educate people. But then there are the anomalies. Like, um, I mean, I've worked with thousands of people. And in that time, I've had four people that had really unpleasant experiences on high ratios of CBD or the fact that we can be sensitive to it. And I, I'm actually wondering, and I don't know if, if you have the answer, Len, but when somebody like, and what it was, was it was a 30 to one ratio where I had people that actually came to me afterwards and they're like, it was miserable. I tripped out a little. And I was like, the first time I heard it, I, w I was kind of skeptical because, you know. I, I get you. I've since learned that you never discount anyone's experience. But at the time, I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, that's completely non euphoric for everyone else I've talked to. 
And then you start to see patterns. But with like CBD sensitivities or things like that, have you seen any patterns at all or? Yeah, I, we've, there's a couple of different uh, parts of that. Number one, we're not 100% sure that was really a 30 to one right. uh, that they consumed because CBD doesn't have the same testing uh, that the THC products do. So I'm always skeptical. Is it really a 31 or is there more THC in there? Uh, the second thing is that there are receptors in your, in your brain, CB2 receptor, very few, but there are receptors there. So it's not intoxicating, but there is receptor binding and they could feel something in, and if they have these genetic predispositions to anxiety and stress, uh, one of the things that may happen is if you if you're focusing on that, and I'm not saying this happened to this person, but if you're focusing on that and you have some receptor binding, it makes you feel a little bit weird. Now you can talk yourself into something that oh my god, I'm having this experience. And if you have a predisposition to PTSD, one of the things that can happen is it can actually replay a movie in your head oh no, this happened to me, blah, 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 years ago. Now it's bringing that up to the surface. And another thing that may be part of this is we have, some people are predisposed to what's called slow rate of fear extinction. And uh, one of the things that happens with people is our brain tries to conserve energy. So if we have a traumatic event in our life, uh, for our own sake, it, it takes that memory and it stores it in our subconscious. So we don't have to deal with it on an ongoing basis and have be hit with trauma over our heads. Mm -hmm. But in a stressful moment, that genetic predisposition can actually express itself. So you can start thinking about, you know, the moment where a car hit you uh, on your bike when you were nine years old, all those experiences together may lead to a unpleasant experience with CBD. But generally speaking, in all the studies, all the controlled studies, it is not euphoric. So it should not have that experience. But hey, we we need to do, I hate saying this, but we need more research. We need to do more studies to, uh, to investigate that because there could be a pattern for certain individuals. And it's it's very, very rare. But I have spoken to a handful of individuals that also said they had some sort of you know, euphoric or intoxicating experience with CBD. So I, I went through the same pattern, questioning the product first. There was no CFA in the product, just said 30 to one. So who knows? Uh, I've seen a lot of products that came out that were supposed to be hemp derived and they were hot, uh, which means point, over 0.3% THC uh, as well. So um, maybe. <laughs> fascinating. I, you know, I, I I always t I always felt bad when I'd be talking to people and they'd be giving me these anomalies and you know you're 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 sympathetic but more than anything I lean in and I'm like so what happened <laughs> I want to know what you did because this is like this is weird and and you got to give me all the information my it's a it's a balance being compassionate <laughs> while you're inquiring because they're like I was miserable I'm sharing this with you and you're like this is awesome I'm like. Oh no, it's not what I mean. I want to know so that you know I can help other people if they have the exact same experience as you do. Like, let's let's collect all the information then we can. Um, we, you were talking about you know that your your work isn't just about the way cannabinoids react in the body. It's it's about other supplements as well. What are your? I, I I'm a huge fan of adaptogens. Do you do you do work with that as well? 
so supplements, uh, okay, let me put it to you this way. The way we work is with looking at your genetic predispositions to certain deficiencies that you may have. Mm-hmm. So an example would be like uh, deficiencies in, in uh, vitamins. So okay. you can see what your genetic uh, uh, deficiencies are, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin B, et cetera. And then we look at nutrient uh, deficiencies. So like magnesium, iron, uh, calcium, et cetera. So on the suggestion side, if there is a formulation or even adaptogens that we can in- start incorporating into the protocols, uh, we do. We, we focus on products that have um, research behind them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of medical food products, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, medical food products used to be a category approved by the FDA that would be prescribed uh, to you. Now they're o- available over the counter uh, and they have clinical studies associated with them. So if there, is, if there are adaptogens, and I, I use uh, like the Stamet 7, uh, for instance, uh, as one of the suggestions, I did it for my COVID protocol as an example. So there are, you know, adaptogens, uh, mushrooms, uh, obviously in the stamina seven, because that's that's his focus. So there are studies associated with them that we can point to that Paul Stamets had uh, done some clinical research on. So if there is a study and a link to a study that we can point to that this adaptogen has gone through a observational study or something of that nature, then yes, uh, we can include them in our suggestions. That's awesome. Because I, I, as much as I love cannabis, it's, you know, and, and, you know, we have colleagues out there that basically like, it's the end all be all, it's all I need. And I'm like, eh, it's, it's part of the equation. We have to look at this from like a more holistic viewpoint, because there's, there are so many things that our, our bodies need to create balance. And I just, I, I love where you're going with this, where you're, what, just the thoughtfulness behind your work. And I'm wondering, like, how are, how are physicians looking at it? And are they, are they looking at it as a tool to be helpful? Because it, it certainly sounds like it would be. Uh, well, we have a lot of physicians as uh, our, our clients, I guess, or customers. Mm-hmm. I, they resell our kits. And uh, in different countries, like uh, Brazil, for instance, as an example, since it's a medical country, mm-hmm. physicians use our test to recommend uh, cannabis and what type of formulation and pharmacies actually uh, deliver, distribute uh, that cannabis. So physicians are on board. Now there's different types of physicians. There are certain physicians and these that uh, don't believe in genetics at all. It's not part of their training. Uh, they're not really, uh, they're not really connected and, and have a deep understanding of, of genetics. So that's not what they uh, studied in school. Maybe there was a class here and there. So, they they really believe in cellular expression and uh, okay that that's fine it's not for everyone and i believe that in in time everything will be personalized like this you will probably have a an at-home uh, dna test to do everything our meal plans everything will be done that way so when you're when you're a pioneer uh, what did wayne gretzky used to say wayne gretzky for you kids is the greatest hockey player that ever played so uh, Wayne Gretzky had this thing, and they asked him, how do you score all these goals? Uh, and he's a, I think he scored more goals than anybody else in, in history. And he, he said, I skate where the puck is going to be. So I always try to do the same sort of thing. You skate where the puck is going to be. Being ahead uh, is better than trying to 
play catch up. But sometimes when you're on an island, you know, people can throw, uh, you know, tomatoes at you uh, when you're when you're up there, which is which is fine. So long winded way to answer it question. We work with physicians all over the world. Uh, it's it's fantastic because a lot of physicians don't really, or healthcare practitioners don't really know about cannabis. Yeah. Uh, we work with a lot of, we work with a lot of the, uh, the medical card doctors as well. So we bundle the deal, you get a card, you get a kit, and that way you can personalize the experience, especially if people are new to that. And, then, and there are some, some uh, doctors who are, uh, you know, they're not on board with genetics, as a whole. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's something to, you know, they'll, they'll catch up or not, which is fine either way. I'm, I'm glad that you're working with the cannabis docs because I know when we were, when we were just purely medical in California and you had to get a card you know, you had, to, you had to have your recommendation also to work in a dispensary. And of course I already had my card being a cancer survivor, but every year I'd renew it. And that doctor would always pump me for information about what I was using or what people I was helping were using because it would help him help other people. But he'd also like give me advice about my colon cancer. And I'd be like, dude, you're a plastic surgeon that specializes in hands. I looked you up. <laughs> Don't. But they're more serious now. There are more people that are really like invested instead of looking at it as I'm going to have a card clinic because I'm on the verge of retiring. I mean, I'm glad that they were there. They gave access. But it seems like there are more physicians now that are actually engaged in, you know, learning more and and actually, you know, because there are more trainings that are available for professionals as well, which is we, you can't have enough information for professionals, I think. It's it's about. So there's a couple of things. Number one, I agree with you, but there's also, it depends on the doctors. Uh, there's those car doctors where you have a, a 30 second conversation with them and that's it. And I mm-hmm. think it also depends on the state, uh, like California. We still have a, we still have medical. I have a yeah. medical card. Me I don't too. need it. It's a, it's a recreational adult use state, but there's no incentive. There's no incentive to have a card. They don't give you anything, but certain states they do certain states, even if when they go, um, Adult use, they they can give you special pricing. You don't pay taxes. Different things. The, I think the only thing in California is you can you can actually get more than an ounce for personal use if you have a card. And if you've uh, got your state card, you don't you can be exempt from the state tax. From uh, state tax, yeah, yeah. in the state uh, card. You, you're you're right about that. But so so the idea is it depends on the state. It depends on the doctors. Some some of them like thirty second conversation. You get your card. The other thing is. Um, the education, the so doctors need that the CME credit, uh, and delivering that education is important. So they'll take those courses. But I think it's up to us; it's the onus is on us to provide education to healthcare professionals yeah. in bite-sized pieces because they're so busy that will be of interest to them. So little chunks little videos, clips, anything else that'll capture their interest because it's very hard for a healthcare professional to sit for three hours in a training or whatever it is. So if we can get those bits and pieces to them, uh, at least get their interest up where they can, you know, take some time and, and dig a little bit deeper. I think that that's something we can do for healthcare professionals as well. Yeah. In my public education classes, that's one thing that I talk about, you know, letting, telling people, because, you know, we get into like, Talking about, you know, CBD interactions inside of Chrome P450 and all that stuff. But I always tell people, you know, 
even if you are using a pharmaceutical that may have that interaction with CBD, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't use it, but you should talk to your physician. And honestly, you should always talk to your physician if you feel comfortable doing that about your cannabis use. Because not only does it help them get a full picture on what's going on with you, but physicians have always told me that the more that they hear back from their patients, it actually educates them and helps them help other people. And I think that, you know, it's also part of reducing the stigma as well. I agree. Going into like products, I um the other month I wrote a um article for Rolling Stone Culture Council around uh, products and qualities. And one of the things that I had said was, you know, it, it's not a good idea to name your product after a certain quality because one person's calm is another person's hell. What what kind of advice would you give to companies that are approaching it in that way? And and you know, and the thing is, like, I, and I felt I felt a little guilty saying it because I have colleagues that have amazing products that do their due diligence. They are naming things after qualities because they see that that's what a majority of people who have been they've been testing their products on are having these effects. So there's always going to be anomalies. But I still think like, especially when we're getting into an age where we are going to be starting to talk more about terpene profiles and ratios of cannabinoids and how that works in the individual's body. But what advice would you give to brands that are approaching it from a quality of of feel perspective when they're naming their products? I mean, that's branding, right? So you have to guide people to a shelf that is uh, associated with what I'm going into to buy. Uh, you know, we were, we were doing a, a deal in a, with a company that wanted to have something that helps people sleep and something that gives people energy. And once again, it's a personalized experience. However, we can see that you know, it's sort of the 80-20 rule. You'll have some outliers, but but people who are getting a formulation that has mercine and and uh, uh, linalool and uh, different terpene profiles are they're more associated with a sedative uh, type of outcome. That is more on the um, you know supporting to relax kind of vibe, right? And then the other things that have limonene and alpha pinene, etc. They have some GABA stimulations that that's on the up side. And as we talked about when we first started, it's not for everyone, but an 80, mm-hmm. 20 rule. So what they did, what they basically marked it as a, a daytime and a nighttime formulation. So uh, for brands, I would say avoid claims like this is for sleep. This is for this. And th- this is what I see all the time. And mm-hmm. the FDA really, really frowns on, on claims. But if you're saying that your, your profile, your terpene profile and it has references to uh, things that may be sedative, you can lean towards, uh, you know, an outcome that, you know, supports uh, sleep or supports uh, sedative qualities with the references that you can back up. Going back to us, I mean, taking the DNA test will guide you to that personalized experience, but I can, I can tell you that even going through, you know, thousands of people, there are those buckets that, you know, this is a product that is going to be more sedative product versus this. The, the challenge that, that happens in this industry is that we have a shiny object and it's always the, the new thing. We, you know, there was a study that came out about cannabis and, and COVID. Everybody's like, oh, you know, let's let's move on to this right away. And then, and then we're talking about CBN. You mentioned it too. Well, CBN, I, there is no study. I mean, great. I, I'm, I'm very 
happy that people find that CBN is a sedative for them. Wonderful. I've, it's not a sedative for me. Yeah. I've consumed it. I don't even know if it's whatever it is, but there, until the, there's a reference study that I can point to, even if it's observational, it doesn't matter to me that it's a, that, but there's a study that can say, okay, out of 200 people, you know, 190 of them have taken this product and it made them sleep better. Great. Now I can point to that reference, but plus we can't rule out placebo and there's right. nothing wrong with it. The pharmaceutical industry actually puts in placebo somewhere around 20% as part of the FDA approval process. Right. So we already know and they know that placebo works. And if it is wonderful and it's great, but making claims, I would definitely avoid. And if you are telling somebody because you have a one to one ratio and there's no terpenes in there and this is a product that's going to support your sleep, now I have an issue with that because that one to one product is doesn't necessarily going to put me to sleep, may put you to sleep, vice versa, or may not do any of those things and may actually have a completely different experience with somebody. So unless you can create a formulation that has products in there that have those references that have been known to be sedative or energizing, whatever it is, uh, I would say that, you know, adjust your products to, to meet the, the, uh, the data and the research that's been done for those ingredients already. Yeah, I, I think the exercise in compliant language is an interesting one. I've I've learned a lot around that as far as, you know, like, you know, not saying it makes you go to sleep, but it can support a good night's sleep. It's, it's the it's the possibilities rather than giving the promise, because otherwise we have people who, you know, are dissatisfied or can have, you know, like like we were talking before, can have, you know, experiences with it that you know leave a bad taste in their mouth but gosh i just realized we have we have just talked <laughs> talked but i love talking to you Lynn. i if people want to um want to follow you on social media or um get more information about um endo dna how would they go about doing that so on social it's uh len may l-e-n-m-a-y dna I think uh, Len May DNA is on Instagram and Len May is LinkedIn, whatever my name, uh, and and Facebook and Twitter. Is, I think it's Len May DNA as well. And then uh, Endo DNA is our website, E-N-D-O DNA. So uh, I'm Len at Endo DNA. So anybody can reach out to me. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to uh, you know provide maybe even a code to your audience and they can all try it. So I can, I can send that over to you oh. uh, and you can share that with the audience if you want. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Cause I know we have a lot of curious people out there that want to do everything they can to get a good fit. And I just, I find your product fascinating in your work. It's, it's just really cool stuff. And for people out there listening, remember planted is twice a month. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. We are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. And of course, you can find us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to any of your favorite podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon, Apple, Google, you name it. We are on it, Pandora, Spotify. And if you like 
an episode, leave a review, share it with a friend. We always love to hear back from you because, you know, this is for you. And we really, I, I really enjoy being able to give this information, but also I get the great opportunity of talking to wonderful people like Len. Len, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation in the future. For sure, Sarah. Thank you. Appreciate it. For all of you out there, it's a crazy world. Be good to each other. Stay safe and stay curious. Until next time. Sarah Pine signing out.